Welcome to another episode of Acts of the Blood God, US Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. With me today is my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Good morning. And we are here to talk about all things RPG related, as always. And yes, that does include Destiny 2. Sorry to burst your <laughs> bubble, um, guy who was angry about us talking about Destiny 2 last week. Uh, just Nadia this week, uh, we're going to be talking, uh, you know, about kind of a a range of RPG related things. We're going to talk yeah. a little Persona 5 and Persona 4 Golden. And we're going to talk about Breath of the Wild. We're going to talk a little bit about Seiken Densetsu, which is, I don't know, like it's getting a collection on the Nintendo Switch and we're all very excited. So I, I guess, I mean, I guess we should just get right to it. Maybe that's where we should start, yeah. Nadia. Yeah, today's kind of a nice day. We're just schmoozing, and uh, given the weather over here, I think that's a nice choice. It's really rainy and kind of chilly here, so let's talk some Secret of Mana slash Seiken Densetsu. It is indeed getting a collection on the Nintendo Switch in Japan, uh, and that includes uh, what we called Final Fantasy Adventure for the Game Boy. It includes Secret of Mana for Super Nintendo, and it includes Seiken Densetsu 3 for the Super Nintendo slash Super Famicom which never got an official translation here, but it did get an excellent fan translation. Um, that said, I'd love to see a legitimate translation or even hack the, like, uh, negotiate with the people who did the fan translation back in the day and uh, put that on there. And basically what I'm saying is I want the Seek and Dead Set 2 collection on the Nintendo Switch for English-speaking audiences. I think that would be awesome. It's quite rare to uh, see a fan translation get purchased Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. The closest I can think of that happening is when I think it was Exceed was buying the fan translations for Ease back in the day. Yes, I remember that. And um, it makes me very curious what Nintendo's going to do for Mother 3 because I think Mother, Mother 3 <laughs> is inevitable, but I want to know if they're going to use uh, Tomato's excellent, excellent fan translation or they're probably going to do their own. But, I um, would be legit shocked if they actually purchased that. Yeah, yeah. At the very best, you can hope is that they'll purchase it and then like heavily rework it with their own people because they have their own standards. Exactly. They they, they don't want to just leave it to an amateur. They want to hand it to the pros, as it were. So, not to say that he's an amateur, of course. He, I think, he works in the uh, the, tra- the translation industry and he has been for a very long time, but. As you say, Nintendo has their own standards. I would hope they at least would have like him as like who knows, like a consultant or something. But um, I think Tomato has gone on the record saying he'd be pretty okay with Nintendo doing whatever they want to do to get Mother Three out there officially. In fact, he might even pull down his translation if Nintendo does their own. So yeah, uh, I mean, I would love to see Mother Three on the Nintendo Switch as oh, like an eShop too. release, but yes, I I don't know. Like at this point. Like, I think everybody was kind of assuming that it was going to hit the Wii U as, like, a GBA thing mm-hmm. um, and a new translation, but it, I mean, it hasn't happened, and the Wii U is basically dead now, mm-hmm. like, that, that ship has sailed, so I'm actually not sure what they're going to do, because it's not as simple as all that to just emulate a GBA game if you no, don't have really a pre-existing infrastructure in place, so... Yeah. I, I think that the Mother 3 ship, like, m- might be unlikely, more unlikely than you think. I don't know. Um, I'm trying to remember when Reggie said, uh, talk to me again in a year and we'll see where we are, because 
And then there's that whole thing where Emily Rogers was saying, um, this is happening, and then it didn't. And usually Emily Rogers' predictions come true, not always, mm-hmm. but quite often. It just seemed to be a really strong thing for a while there, and I don't think it's faded entirely. Yeah, well, I mean, that may just be, like, fans uh, fans' wishful thinking mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. it actually going to happen. I mean, it did seem like they were making a bit more of a push with Earthbound, but I don't know. We'll see. Like, it would be really nice to get Mother 3 on the Switch. Uh, it really would. Mostly because I, I want to play it. I mean, I haven't played the uh, the English translation of it or anything, so. Oh, you haven't? It's it's a it's a pretty great game. Pretty depressing, but pretty great. <laughs> So Sega Densetsu, really quickly, like I, I know that that is considered one of the kind of the holy grails of uh, RPG fandom for a lot of mm-hmm. people. Um, mm-hmm. Could you kind of explain to our audience um, of those who don't, who might not know, why exactly Sega Densetsu Three is like like causing such a kerfuffle? <laughs> well, personally, and this is just a personal opinion, I still prefer the original Secret of Mana over it. But um, as far as that's not to say Seiken Densetsu 3 is, is a bad RPG. It's pretty remarkable. Uh, it really pushes the, the Super Famicom to its limits. Like, just the graphics, the sound, everything. It's just incredible about it. Um, I think that the reason why we didn't get a, a translation here, or, or so the legend goes, is because there's so much text that, given how hard that the initial, the vanilla game pushes the Super Famicom, that there was just no room for to add all that text. And given how many branching storylines there are, I can believe that would be the case. Because, of course, Japanese is a much more compact language than, than English. So we got Secret of Evermore. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Which, to be fair, I would like to kind of give another chance sometime. Secret of Evermore report coming on up. <laughs> I, w- I would actually be down with that, but I, I have a feeling I'd get bored. Oh, yeah? Yeah, like, I've tried to play it a few times, and I've always given up. So, I don't know, I, m- I might give it another chance sometime. I've always felt like Secret of Evermore was, like, a bit of a boondoggle, because, like, it was clearly meant to kind of traffic on the Secret of Mana name, but if my recollection is correct, it's not really anything like it. No, it's the gameplay-wise, it's, it's a lot like it, but story-wise, thematically... Um, it's not, but it does have a soundtrack by, shoot, he, he escapes my, my immediate note, like my immediate memory, but he went on to make the, the soundtracks for like, uh, Skyrim and other Elder Scrolls games. Mm, interesting. So it, it's very interesting to listen to that soundtrack now and hear how it really, it's really more atmospheric than like outright those beautiful 16-bit tunes that we got in the day, like, which are so obvious and in your face, because Evermore like sounds very... It does give you that kind of, like, mood that, like, it exists in the background of your gameplay experience. It's great, even though it doesn't really jump up in your in your ears, so to speak. Indeed. Well, uh, so we're, there is talk of Seiken, there's going to be a Seiken Densetsu collection, so is that also going to include Secret of Mana? Yes, uh, that will be on there. Uh, the Game Boy, uh, the, the initial Game Boy uh, Seiken Densetsu game will be on there, and Seiken Densetsu 3. Um, I'm a little disappointed that we're not going to that it also doesn't include um, the remake of Final Fantasy Adventure, uh, which is on mobile and Vita here. Mm. And uh, there's also the mobile port of uh, Secret of Mana, which kind of redoes the graphics. Uh, it improves the sound because in the original game, the, the part of the uh, soundtrack shared like a, I don't know, I guess a sound channel with the sound effects, so it would cut in and out a lot. Um, and uh, 
also it's worth noting that uh, the uh, mobile port of Secret of Mana had a redone translation. Hmm. Mm. Because yeah, the, ori- well. the original SNES one was a little bit choppy. <laughs> well, perhaps, um, perhaps this collection, if it does get localized, will in fact include the improved ro- uh, localization of Secret of Mana. And we'll get like a proper localization of Second Densetsu Three. Um, is it being handled by Square Enix? I mean, I imagine it would be, right? Yeah, uh, M Two is actually doing the uh, oh. th- the work for it, so it should be pretty great. Well, I mean, if there's enough of an outcry for this, then they're totally. I, I can't imagine why they wouldn't uh, release yeah. it. Yeah. Um. The one developer from M Two actually outright said, "If you want this to happen, like for to for English speaking audiences, go ahead and, you know." Tweet Square Enix, email Square Enix, whatever it takes. Just let them know that you're interested, because I could see it being a rather low-cost venture for Square Enix. I mean, they'd have to put in some work into the translation, but uh, the Switch is is doing quite well, and I could see them wanting to do like, hey, this is a this is a low-effort project. We'll just put it on there, and I'm sure there's going to be plenty of people in, in America who are curious about seeing that Tetris Three and remember Mana and and Final Fantasy Adventure, and, and would like to play this, because um, I sure would. I'm always a little careful about uh, calling something low effort. Uh, like That's localization true. is always... Uh, it, well, it's, a, it's a significant undertaking, let's be honest. Oh, absolutely. What I mean by low effort is that, like, um, not that localization is low effort, it certainly isn't. I just mean, like, you're not building a game from the ground up. This is, like, more or less, like, M2, I'm sure, is doing hard work on the emulation, because they do great work, but... Uh, just, I, I would see putting, like, translating something is, is a little bit, not exactly low cost, but costs less than, uh, <laughs> I don't know, than something else. I lost yeah. that train of thought. I could see, like, a digital release, like a digital-only release. Which um, is a bit of a shame, because the uh, the Japanese uh, collection has just fantastic cover artwork. Mm, yeah, I know, it is really pretty, isn't it? It is. Uh, apparently the artist's name is uh, Hassan H-A-C-C-A-N, I believe it's spelled, and uh, his work is just incredible. He also did the, uh, he redid character designs for the uh, Final Fantasy Adventure remake and for uh, the uh, iOS version of Secret of Mana. Indeed. So, well, hopefully we, I mean, I would like it just so that I can properly experience Secret of Mana and Seiken Densetsu 3. Like, Mm -hmm. these are two classic action RPGs uh, that have... I mean, I I know Secret of Mana received an iOS port, but it wasn't very good, if my recollection is right. Am I wrong? No, I enjoyed it. Um, I I played it, I finished it. Uh, Let's face it, it's never an ideal way to play an action game, but uh, I enjoyed the the redone graphics, the redone sound, and of course the redone translation was really appreciated. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. So, but I would and, still love to see it like with a tangible um hell the switch, you know, it's pretty much the perfect. Wouldn't we all, right? Yeah, exactly. You know what the funny thing is about the Nintendo Switch? Mhm. And I think I might write about this soon, but it's been a month and I don't remember the last time I played it on my TV. I've uh, I, it's funny, I went through a long period where I just uh played it on my, like just with my hand like as a handheld, but I was saying this um I can't remember what I was saying. I think on Twitter, since I have fibromyalgia and I've been having kind of like bad episodes lately because the weather is going through changes, I was actually going through a period where I didn't even want to bend my neck. And so I was like, okay, you know what? Zelda on the TV again. And 
since then, I've been playing mostly on the TV, but I have been going back and forth still. But it's it's just really good, no matter what you play, how you play it. It's really nice, especially since uh, Zelda they fixed the frame rate issues, or at least most of them. So I don't notice a big difference between the TV and and the handheld version, handheld mode anymore. Hmm. Yeah. I I don't know. Like I just I find it much more comfortable to chill out on my armchair pl- and play a game. Like I kind of wish that I had Persona Five to. On a yeah. handheld, uh, a mobile device, because, I mean, I'm enjoying, like, it's comfy and relaxing and fun to play it on my big TV, but I have been just really enjoying playing Zelda on the, the handheld version of the Switch. Um, not the least because I think that it just really shines on that little screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you you hit the nail on the head when you said a while back that Zelda is, uh, Breath of the Wild is really well suited for... Um, as a portable experience, given how you have like the the shorter dungeons and the like the short shrines, yeah, I mean, sort of like I, I guess like whenever I play Breath of the Wild, I end up getting looped in for like three hours. Yeah, it's hard to judge as a as a bite sized game because it's, let's face it, um, you start playing, you don't stop for a while. Like I had this so yesterday, it was like four thirty, and I was trying to write an ar- write an article. But my keyboard was having some problems, and so mm-hmm. I was like, ah, screw it. And <laughs> I grabbed my Switch, and I was like, I'll just play a little bit while I wait for my keyboard to charge. Uh-huh. And then the next thing I know, it's like 7.30. <laughs> yep. Like, literally, I played for like three, three and a half hours, like, just getting completely sucked into this game. It's it's really dangerous. It's like crack. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of is, isn't it? Zelda crack. Triforce crack. Mm, let me think yeah, about this. Yeah, like... Ugh. So, if you don't mind me, like, sharing my progress a little bit, sure. apologies if this is, like, a little bit spoilery, but I, I don't think so. Like, I don't think this is very spoilery. Like, I don't feel like I'm that far in still, you mm-hmm. know? I've been playing for hours and hours and hours, and, you know, like, I've been getting much better weapons, and, like, my, I've improved my armor and everything, and I've done a whole lot of shrines, and I've unlocked a good chunk of the map, but, you know, I still haven't beat a Divine Beast. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, like, it feels like the end is further away than ever. And I, but I sort of don't care. Like, it's just, yeah, I'm having so much fun. Just like, whenever I get bored going one direction, I turn around and go a different direction. Going another direction. Um, I actually only just finished the fourth Divine Beast. And um, I, uh, like I said in an article I wrote yesterday, I, I was wondering, oh, I wonder how many hours I put into this. I'm sure it's just like 70 hours. And I looked and it was like 130 hours. <laughs> And I was like, oh my wow. god. Wow, 130 hours and like, you've just now finished the fourth Divine Beast? Yeah, and there's like, I, there's no way I'm going up against Ganon yet because there's like, I really need to beef up my, my heart uh, my heart c- count. Mm. Um, one thing I would recommend to you is, uh, have you gotten the Master Sword yet? No. Because just the bosses and the Divine Beasts are so much easier when you have the Master Sword. So okay. Keep well, I mean, because the whole thing where, like, the, the weapons break and stuff? Yeah, but um, also because the Master Sword uh, doubles its power if you're inside a Divine Beast and up against, like, one of the bosses in there. Oh, okay. And sort of evil Spain. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think it also uh, doubles in power if you're up against, like, one of those friggin' Guardians. Hmm. So that's good okay. to keep in mind. Because they're infused with evil? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that one I don't get, but uh, uh, they're jerks, so whatever you can do to like beat up their jerk faces as quickly as possible, do it. I went into a Divine Beast 
And I was in yeah. the process of doing the dungeons and everything, and I was like, I'm not nearly powerful enough for this. Yeah. So I went and I just like explicitly went and started doing a bunch of shrines to beef up my heart count. I went and like I bought a full set of uh of the Hylian armor mm-hmm. and got it improved. Mm-hmm. And I I was like, uh, maybe I'll go like check out one of the other divine beasts. I'm not sure, but I struck out west. So I've been kind of like climbing all these mountains and stuff, and I got like a ton of gems and stuff from doing that. That's really good. So I'm going um, to uh, sell all of those and like get a whole bunch of money and also do a whole bunch of cooking. <laughs> cooking is a lot of fun in this game. It is. And you can get like, I, I've realized that like it's really important to make some dishes because some of them will like give you actually extra hearts. They'll give you like three yes. or four extra hearts. Yes, uh, two ingredients to keep an eye out for are hearty radishes and mm. hearty truffles, and mm-hmm. I think there's also a kind of a fish that extends your your heart can your heart count. But bomb fishing, don't... yeah. <laughs> don't be shy about expanding your heart bar. It's like a, it'll save your butt over and over again. I've also been like trying to collect as many like ancient you know pieces as possible so that I can eventually get the ancient armor. Yeah, I was thinking about buying that. It looks kind of cool. I mean, it looks pretty badass, but also, like, I mean, it's it's pretty expensive. Mm-hmm. And also, like, you have to, like, get so many Guardian pieces to be able to get it. Yeah. Yeah, and as I say, Guardians are jerks. The ones that are, like, that sit in one spot, okay, I can deal with those, but the, the ones that, like, run around everywhere, driving up the wall, even after I cut out their, uh, their legs from under them. Yeah, the ones that sit in one place aren't so bad, but they can also be pretty annoying. Like, it's the worst thing in the universe to suddenly have that laser beam on you and be like, shit, 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 <laughs> shit, 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 shit. And you hear the music and you start running, but running usually doesn't do you any good. Yeah, no, you have to hide behind something. Mm-hmm. Or like a rock or a tree. If you're lucky. If you're lucky, yeah. Um, I, yeah, the ones that chase you, you just can't get away from them. Like, they're just too fast. Or like, you you have to hope that you can find something, a ledge to jump off of. Mm-hmm. Or if you have, uh, well, you haven't beaten, like, one of the, the Divine Beasts one, but uh, but if if you beat the uh, the bird Divine Beast, you get, like, uh, Rivali's Gale, which lets you uh, launch into the air whenever you want. And mm-hmm. that's pretty good for getting away from them, although not perfect. Mm. Okay, well, that's a good thing to keep... I'm actually thinking I'm going to tackle that one first. Yeah, that's definitely a good one to tackle first. It's uh, I think it's meant to be tackled first. It's funny how the game um, it lets you go wherever you want, but it does have ways of letting you know where you probably should go. Um, I remember when I first started playing, I headed towards like Kakariko, and uh, the enemies there were pretty difficult, but ages later I went back to like the, um, the Faron region, which is very close to the Great Plateau, and uh, the enemies there were so much easier. And I was like, mm. oh, I should have gone here first. Well, I went, I struck out pretty far west, and suddenly the enemies got quite strong, actually. Yeah. Like, they were wielding some weapons that were one-shotting me, despite the fact that I had the armor on that I had, like, mm-hmm. quite a bit better, um, um, quite a bit better, like, defense ratings. So I was just like, oh, okay, well, this is kind of tough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, uh, kind of like, the further you get away from the Great Plateau, the harder everything gets. Yeah, so, I mean, that's fine, like... 
So anyway, yeah, I've been doing a lot of just kind of exploration, trying to build myself up, that kind of thing. Um, uh, my girlfriend is just like, she doesn't even really care about progression. Like literally all she wants to do is take pictures and like <laughs> climb things. I was actually going to ask you how she's enjoying the game now because I realized as I played through more and more of it, um, yes, the shrines themselves get a little harder to solve, but also there's a lot of uh, puzzles to actually finding shrines. So you mentioned that she was really into more of the puzzle aspect of Zelda. Yeah, she's been doing... I mean, she's just been uncovering a lot of shrines, too, like, Mm -hmm. and just solving them. She hates the combat shrines. Oh, well, everyone does. I mean, they're like, I don't mind the combat shrines. Like, I've actually found them pretty easy, all things considered. I realized that they got a lot easier once I, like, really equipped myself with a lot of uh, uh, electric arrows. Well, once I figured out, like, I mean, it's pretty easy just to figure out their pattern. Like, Mm -hmm. okay, Mm -hmm. like, get them stunned, do as much damage as possible with your most powerful weapon. And you just can't let them start shooting at you, essentially, yeah. like, yeah. with their, like, final attacks. Like, you have to, like, basically bum rush them and hit them as hard as they can you can until they die. Yeah, because they go kamikaze by the end. Yes, exactly. So, yeah. And I like them because, A, you usually get a really useful thing out of them. Like, mm-hmm. you get a bunch, you get, like, a really useful weapon. You get, like, some really good treasures like it pops out a whole bunch of like ancient stuff yes <laughs> the ancient stuff is always good yeah i like the ancient stuff so but yeah it's uh, really interesting how uh the game basically addresses that uh the whole it still has that treasure finding aspect that you get in the original zelda dungeons but uh, it's not really so explicit about it no. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it has that extra chest that is yes. always just kind of around that gives you something really good mm-hmm. that I always like have started just making a point of always trying to find because, mm-hmm. I mean, it's like the stuff that's in it is always too good to yeah. ignore. Yeah, almost always. You will actually sometimes even find like actual gear and stuff in there that you can't get anywhere else. I know. That's why I'm like, oh, God, I have to have these. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, I um I guess I'll go looking for the master sword now. You need to have like 13 hearts before you can pull it out, just so you know. Oh, god damn it. <laughs> That's a lot of hearts. It seems that way now, but trust me, in a while you'd be like this is a baby amount of hearts. Really? Mm-hmm. God damn it. This game is so big. Yeah, it's pretty huge. I don't even know like to do with it because it just feels so overwhelmingly large and enormous. Um, we were talking yesterday, um, I think during the meeting or something, about how like it just really feels like the fulfillment of Miyamoto's original vision of like mm-hmm. just being able to walk across the land and be like, what's in there? What's that place? What's up there? Exactly. And that's pretty much all I've ever wanted out of a Zelda game. Uh, I first felt that way, like that, that sense of wow with Ocarina of Time and this is like the first game to really make me feel that way since. Although Wind Waker came close. I think Wind Waker made me feel that. Uh, Twilight Princess just felt big and meaty and it was fun to play. Mm-hmm. Um, back in the day, like Link's Awakening like was a lot of fun. Like mm-hmm. I, I did a Retronauts episode about it. And you should go listen to it when it comes out. I don't know if it's out yet. I wish um, I was on that one. Talking about um, just how uh, how much of a... How ambitious it was for a Game Boy game. It really and, was. Yeah. And uh, one thing I really love about it 
playing it now as an older person is how I appreciate just how every like segment of that game is just so well designed. It has so much stuff packed into it. it. They just really is one of those games where they looked at the Game Boy's limitations and said, "Okay, we can actually make this work for us, not against us." What do you think of Nintendo saying that probably going forward they're going to go with more of the Breath of the Wild approach? Um, I'm 100% okay with that. I actually wrote a little bit about it the other day. Uh, one thing they are saying too is that. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean the end of like the the top down style Zelda's like a link between worlds. So if there's if I get another one of those plus open world Zelda, yeah, I- I'm pretty happy with that. You mentioned though that you thought it might get stale. Yeah, um, I'm just concerned that it'll start to feel formulaic at a certain point. <laughs> yeah. Be like oh good, like all the magic will go away, as it were, because it'll be like oh good, Nintendo's doing that again. They're definitely running this into the ground. Um, I don't really see that becoming a problem, because, I don't know, I was thinking about it, and Zelda games have always been kind of, uh, kind of open world to begin with, like, mm-hmm. in, in their own way, like, the original Zelda was, uh, was very much go wherever you want, and I'm thinking about it, and even Zelda 2, if you really want to, if you have the guts and you have the strength, you can, like, wander, like, gosh, past Death Mountain and over the sea, if you, well, not over the sea until you get the item that you need, but um, you, you can go pretty far. I mean, Zelda games, really their big problems were not so much the initial, not so much the overall boundaries, but putting you through, like, massive tutorials, etc., beforehand. Mm. Yeah, that was definitely a thing with Skyward Sword. Yeah, and I mean, even, like, Wind Waker has that uh, oh, that sense of openness. Like, I really enjoyed filling out the map in that game, even though my only real problem is that there were, wasn't so much land to explore. It was just a lot of water. Lots of water with Seven towers and stuff. Yeah. A handful of islands. Yeah. So if it. so, even if Nintendo changes up the nature of the open world a little bit, like I, I just kind of threw off a, a few suggestions in my article, like, oh, I don't know, you know, maybe put like a huge city in one corner, something that we haven't seen in Wind Waker, because... Wind Waker really kind of fits that whole apocalyptic theme, and I don't know if I want Nintendo to do that again. Because mm. they nailed it so perfectly this time, I don't really know how you can improve upon it. Uh, I don't think you can. Um, mm. It would be nice if there were like more caves. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking that, actually. I was thinking, you know what, I'd really like more caves, and I really, I really would like more traditional Zelda dungeons. Um, in a perfect world, I'd love to have... Breath of the Wild's Overworld, and Skyward Sword's Dungeons. Hmm. Yeah, I found Skyward Sword's Dungeons almost a little too complicated, or at least I found them uh, kind of exhausting to play through. Mm-hmm. Where, like, I-, I felt like A Link Between Worlds, like, some people complained and said that they weren't as intricate because they had to be balanced around, like, the idea that you would have all of the items Mm-hmm. I, I love those dungeons. I had a great time with them. But I just had a blast playing through all of them. Like, yeah. Like, A Link Between Worlds was just a game where I'm just like, more, give me more dungeons. More, more, more. Yeah, yeah. That's why I want to see another top-down style Zelda t- out of the team as well. And I That'd think be really we'll nice. It. Like, on the... I, I don't know what they would put it on, because the 3DS is, like, kind of winding down at the moment, but... Mm-hmm. Like, if they, like, made it a, an eShop release... Yeah. Yeah, that'd or, be really nice. They could do it for the Switch. I yeah, not. no, that's what I mean. As an eShop release oh, okay, on the Switch. Yeah. Or hack I even mean, both. That's the, 
yeah, I mean, I don't know, but we'll see. But yeah, I, I agree with you. Like, it would be nice to um, have more intricate dungeons and like kind of meets Breath of the Wild's op- open world or overworld. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it sounds like they put so much effort just into the overworld and <laughs> getting the frame rate stabilized that. Like, I don't know, like, maybe now that they have the tech, they can, like, expand out and do more with it, but... Yeah, kind of like, well, look what they did with Majora's Mask. They took Ocarina of Time and totally turned it on its head. They just reused the resources, but in a really clever way. Yeah, no, absolutely, so... But I guess we'll see, right? Uh, But in the meantime, like, Breath of the Wild, uh, it's been really... It's just been a treat to play. Like, it is almost absurd how addictive this game is. It's been one of the most interesting game pl- gaming experiences I've had in quite a long time. I think it says everything that um, it's been a month since the game came out and people are still tweeting about it and, like, you know, writing Tumblr posts about it and just drawing fan art and all that stuff about it. Oh, I mean, it's a game that we're going to be talking about for years to come. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because, A, it's Zelda. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody loves a good Zelda. Um, and B, like, I mean, we're still talking about Skyward Sword, arguably one of the weakest games in the entire series. True. Um, True. But beyond that, like Breath of the Wild, just it kind of kind of smacks you, right? Like mm-hmm. we were we were talking at some length on the Slack channel yesterday about kind of open world games and how like I've been drawn to games like Skyrim and that kind of thing because it almost feel like feels like I'm going inside like a holodeck and I can kind of live inside this world. Yes, where a lot of open world games like the GTA's of the world, the Assassin's Creeds, feel very artificial to me, like. It's like this character like that I don't really care about exploring this this world that feels like an amusement park, essentially, right? <laughs> it's like, oh, I get to battle some things and take on some arbitrary side quests and collect. Lots of collecting. Lots of collecting. There's not so much collecting in Zelda, and, and most of the stuff you do collect is very useful. Well, I mean, the collecting is like, you know, just grabbing, you know, stuff that you can cook into mm-hmm. recipes and that kind of thing, but... Yeah, so Breath of the Wild, like, it just feels so vast and interesting and mysterious that I just, I naturally want to, just want to spend the time there, right? Like, yeah. It's the kind of game where, like, you see something on the horizon and you orient yourself toward it and you just start moving toward it. And getting there is the most interesting part. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Actually, I had to uh, recently, for an armor upgrade, I had to mine for a lot of opals. So mm-hmm. even though I knew where I could probably find, like, a decent... Uh, stash of them. I just took my horse and I, I just kind of went running to different mountains on the horizon and you know, I'd find the gems, I'd find enemies, I'd find like Koroks, I'd find just everything else in between. Yeah. Yeah, no, like or you'll find like people to <clears throat> talk to or you'll just find random stuff and it just feels like there's so many secrets contained within this giant world. It's like it's the most it's the most enjoyable thing not to play this game with a walkthrough. Yeah, exactly. Um, I've barely consulted a walkthrough at all. Indeed. So, um, so yeah, that's that's enough Breath of the Wild talk. Um, <laughs> I'm sure we'll like keep talking about it. I don't know if I'm ever going to finish this game because it just feels so big that it's like it's almost exhausting to play through. Like I, I hope to finish it someday, but yeah, we'll see. like I'm certainly not bored of it yet. No, I I don't I kind of don't want it to end, but at the same time I know I have to finish it cuz I mean it's going to be DLC in the future. So, yes. So, do you want to talk really quickly about Persona 5 and like the localization stuff? 
yeah, I think we can do that. So, let's see, Persona 5. Um, Persona 5 has been out for a few days, and I, I suppose the first controversy to kind of come out of it was uh, Atlas's rather, uh, I suppose, draconian streaming policy, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in which they said that you cannot play past July 7th on a stream, which effectively precludes all Let's Plays. Um, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, woo. Uh, I, I wrote on the site that it's, it's an unfortunate bit of self-sabotage on that on their part, because, I mean, frankly, like, a lot of... Um, a lot of games get the word out because of streams. Yeah, and it just seems like they're hobbling themselves a bit because this is like Persona is gradually getting more and more hype in the West, and mm-hmm. streaming is a major way that people kind of discover games, and especially people who are going to be kind of curious about Persona. And um, they they just like this is just really bad press for them. Yeah, it's bad press. Um... And it doesn't help, it's not helped by the fact that, like, Persona 5 is a very Japanese game. Mm-hmm. Um, we posted a an interview with uh, Hashino, who directed the game, and he was, like, going, well, I'll, I'll admit, like, this is a very Japanese game, so I'm actually kind of curious to see how the West reacts to it. Uh, this very Japanese, actually very in-depth and technical, you know, kind of RPG is not the usually the kind of thing that sells millions upon millions of copies. Like it has to, exactly. it kind of thrives on its really solid word of mouth. Yes. Uh, one of the reasons that Persona Four was popularized in the first place was because of Giant Bomb's Endurance Run, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. Like so many people watched that, and so many people like really enjoyed it, and that like lodged Persona Four in the collective memory in a way. Yes. So like. These really stringent draconian streaming measures just seems like self sabotage at its absolute worst. I mean, yeah, people people will counter it's like, oh, well, what about the people who just watch the entirety of the game and then just don't play it? Well, yeah, there's always going to be those people, but there'll be plenty of other people who go who will watch like an episode and go, oh, that looks a lot of fun, and then decide to start their own game. Yeah, and um, I understand Atlas, uh, they don't want people to spoil the central mystery. And Okay, that, that's fair, but Persona is more than its central mystery. Uh, Persona is a game where you could watch someone play it, sure, and maybe that person playing it like romances another character that makes the other per- the person watching say, hey, okay, what if I romance this character instead? What'll happen? Because there are so many ways the story can go. I mean, it's not only that, but, like, there's an as- element of self-policing. Yes, like, absolutely. I feel like communities are pretty dang stringent about policing spoilers, uh, mm-hmm. because spoilers are considered just so unacceptable. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at Mass Effect. Like, if you go to the Mass Effect subreddit right now, like, literally everything has to be tagged as a spoiler if you're going to spoil something. Yeah. Like, and that goes for the original trilogy as well. Like, for, there is no, like, statute of limitations on spoilers for the original Mass Effect games. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the same goes for Persona. Like, if you go over to the Persona 5 forum right now, uh, people are, like, pretty sensitive about spoilers there, too. It's just, like, a matter of, if you want to get the spoilers, you can you know where to find them. Yeah. <laughs> But it's so it's like, yeah, if you're watching a stream, it's kind of a given that there's going to be spoilers. But I mean, there's a self-policing aspect. It really is. Like, I just don't think that you can legislate this thing through banning streams. No, you really can't because it's really 
do it at your own risk. You kind of know what you're getting into, and I would assume even the streamer would say, okay, guys, spoilers from this point on. But you choose to go in there, and you choose to watch that spoiler. Yeah. You can't exactly be told no. Yeah, I mean, on Twitter, like, there was some there were some developers who were like going well i mean should we be okay with streaming and spoilers of like heavily narrative focused games mm-hmm. and um one of the examples used was that dragon cancer mm-hmm. which oh okay that's fair enough but at the same time like can you please that i mean yeah i would say the genie is already out of, out of the bottle right <laughs> pretty like, much you can't put it back in like yeah there are going to be streams like like it or not a certain generation, I don't do it this way. I I do not understand streams at all. Like, I find watching streams powerfully boring. It depends I don't want to watch other people play games. I'm sorry. Like, I'd rather play the game myself. But lots and lots and lots of people do. Lots mm-hmm. and lots and lots of people enjoy watching streams and streaming yeah. themselves. Like, My that is how people consume them. games these days. Yeah, exactly. Especially young people. Um, but... Uh, I actually just found out uh, I've been like watching a bit of Monster Factory and they're hilarious. But <laughs> <laughs> really good streamers can be hilarious. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah. And they're like going, well, what about the instances in which it's streamed without any commentary? I'm like, well, I mean, people are going to post that stuff on on YouTube anyway. You know, yeah. like that's yeah, how that- it goes. <laughs> it's going to be there. You can't stop it. No, and it's kind of like our generation. We had okay, uh, we had game rentals, and game companies tried their damnedest to stop those. It didn't work. So you always have these controversies like going around that uh, you can't really police. Basically, the upshot of all this is they're trying to stop up the dam that has already burst. Exactly, with like and in the process, all it. they're doing is just pissing off a lot of prominent streamers. They really are. Oh, yeah, I was going to stream this game. Guess not. Bye. (laughs) And that's the thing. It's not like streamers won't find something else to do and go give someone else that publicity. Yeah, no. Like, they're like, oh, you're making it unnecessarily hard for me to stream this game? I guess I won't. Bye. Yeah. And And uh, Nintendo's terrible for that, too. But that's a whole other topic. Yeah, so there's that. And then, uh, like, it's been kind of bubbling on the surface, but. It feels like people have been kind of coming down hard on Persona 5's localization. Yeah, I've been hearing a lot about that lately. And, like, let's see, Mike was posting some things in the Slack channel, like, uh, yeah, there's definitely some awkward lines of dialogue. And, like, we were talking about, like, you know, maybe it probably could have used another pass, but, man, I almost feel like this is a no-win scenario for Atlas, because this game is so freaking huge. Like, it's just mm-hmm. an insane undertaking getting it done, you know? Yeah, and also I've been told, or I, some one side's arguing that, like, well, it's really a lot truer to the original Japanese. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know how Japan is about passive voice. Maybe they love it. I don't know. <laughs> but if going by Persona 5, that seems to be the case. People are calling it stilted and unnatural. Um, I don't necessarily think that's the case. Um, I I think that it's fairly true to the style of previous persona games and i I don't Mm -hmm. think that the dialogue crackles quite as much possibly because our mutual friend nick marigos has moved on uh from from atlas but it was always a team effort right like he Mm -hmm. wasn't the only one um, of course writing that dialogue uh I, i think that what it comes down to is that it's such a massive game that like and they were under a crunch to actually get out the door like it is the most ambitious localization effort atlas has ever taken on uh, and uh, that, they're they're a pretty small team, aren't they? Still, yeah, relatively small. Like the the 
the resources afforded Atlas USA are pretty minuscule <laughs> in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. They're doing a bit better now that Index has moved on from them and uh, they're owned by Sega, mm-hmm. which is a funny thing to say, but what can I say? Um, but it, it's still kind of like, oh God, like they have a pretty small team, all things yeah. considered, working on this gigantic game. Mm-hmm. And uh, the writer of uh, Borderlands 2, uh, unfortunately, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he was just on Twitter raging about how awful the translation is and how he can't read it. And of course, people are coming back at him. Well, now I know how we feel about the memes in Borderlands 2. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, well. just looking at it, like I haven't played Persona 5 yet, but uh, looking at the screenshots and, and hearing about it. I will say that one thing I learned as a writer, and it's an important lesson, I think, is that if a if a book or whatever doesn't follow the rules of grammar to a T, it's not necessarily a deal breaker. I mean, one of the most stilted reads in the world is The Phantom Tollbooth, which is just a wonderful, wonderful little book, but it's full of adjectives and one of the things you learn as a writer is you got to use adjectives and adverbs sparingly, but God knows the Phantom Tollbooth does not. Does it discount its value as a book? Hell no, it's a fantastic book. So you really kind of got to take things as they come. You got to use your own judgment. It's not always a deal breaker. Yeah, well, I've been playing Persona 5 um, about seven or eight hours in at this point. And uh, I, I suppose that like, like the writing's been fine like for the most part like it hasn't jumped out at me as being especially bad like i said it's uh the voice acting and such is more or less in line with what i kind of received from persona 3 and 4 which is like kind of over the top in a lot of respects yeah it's going to be uh, interesting for me coming to persona 5 directly off persona 4 golden because i do love how persona 4 golden every character has their own sort of voice and the localization yeah. on that game is very very good hmm yeah, uh, I think that they especially nailed a couple characters. Um, I think, I, I think Kamashita, who is like one of the initial villains, like he's good. Mm-hmm. Like they completely nailed the like, I am confident in charge and a smarmy bastard. <laughs> um, and they also nailed Morgana the cat. Oh, that's good. As long as they nailed the cat, that sounded really terrible. I'm sorry, everyone. The- <laughs> I apologize Thanks, for Maria. that. Thanks for putting that image in my head. Um, <laughs> Morgana, yeah, no, like I, I really like Morgana's voice. Um, I, like Morgana is just the most enjoyable part about Persona Five so far. Mm-hmm, I look forward to that. Can I just say though that, like, everybody's like, oh yeah, no, Persona Five gets off to a much faster start. No, it actually gets off to the slowest start of any of the games in this series. Yeah, that's what Katie was saying. She was saying that, like, for an hour it goes really fast, and then it just slows the hell down for the next five hours or so. Yeah, no, like, it feels like it's going really fast to start, and then they just, like, slam on the brakes. (laughs) And, like, my girlfriend's been watching with me, and she was just like, man, is this game, like, only talking? <laughs> and she's she's called it Pokemon with uh, Pokemon with demons, which I'm like, yeah, that's fair it, enough. It kind of is, yeah. And then, like, I was talking to the demons and getting them on my side, and she's like, God, just freaking make a dating sim if you want to make, if you're just going to want to be talking to everybody. Oh, my God. And I, I was wanna, just I like, wanna... it, it is an RPG. Like, you do talk to people. I want to date Lucifer. I want to date Samael. <laughs> 
<laughs> but I was like, I gotta collect all the demons so that I can like combine them. Yeah, yeah, you gotta get them so you so you can like they're, they're like trash demons. And you just kind of fuse them together so they become yeah, no, good exactly. demons. I I do like that. I do really like that they brought the negotiation system back for Persona Five. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that because I, I understand it was in uh, three. Yeah, no, I it wasn't. Played. It's but but it's in been in previous Shimagami Tensei games. Oh, okay, that's that's why I got confused. But um, it's been considered kind of like a was it a foundational aspect of SMT is mm-hmm. demon negotiation. Mm-hmm. Um, so having it back in Persona Five like makes it feel quite a bit more unified with the series. Yeah, because one thing I will say about Persona Four is that it feels a little weird that um, these these demons these and these legends from across time are like, hey, I'll be your friend. Why not? Like, yeah. okay, why not? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Like, well, they just kind of appear because yeah. you, you like, beat a mission, and then you can, um, like, check one of the uh, the tarot cards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you'll get a demon. Whereas in this one, like, you can just recruit them, or you can get them to give you money. Hey, that sounds all right. Why do they have money? I don't know. They're why demon. not? <laughs> they need to, sometimes they need a Coke. <laughs> no, <laughs> exactly. Like, vending machine. I just imagine, like, Pixie, like, chilling. God damn it, I don't have enough change for like, a vending machine. I don't know. Ah, uh, oh, crap. Here comes the main character. Ah, sh- oh, here. <laughs> Take my 100 yen. Okay, go on. Fine. Damn it. At least. I'll join you. But they can also co- surrender to you. That's also kind of cool. Oh, neat. I like yeah, that like, idea. Yeah, like, they'll go, like, ah, oh, God, stop. No, like, don't kill me. Like, can I surrender to you? And then they'll join your party if you're lucky. Mm-hmm. Cowardly demons. Cowardly demons. Not all demons will join you. Probably not. Some are like just super obstinate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that makes sense. They're demons. Yes, but uh, on the subject of its really slow start, I'd say it takes good six hours, a uh, good five hours to get through the tutorial. Essentially, it's going to be kind of weird for me to play it because um, I'm like I was really hoping it would be on like a portable system like Vita or Switch, but that's not going to be the case, is it? So not for now. Not not for the time being. Yeah, maybe next year. So I'll be in the, the the living room playing it, and my husband's right here, like uh, using the computer or whatever. He's gonna have to put up with all the banter because uh, he finally told me, like, you know, that, do they ever shut up in, in Final Fantasy Fifteen? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, dear. Yeah, no, it's even worse in Persona Five, though. Like, I, I find the banter enjoyable, um, to be honest. Um, so yeah, it takes about five hours, lots of dialogue. It's definitely at pains to establish its premise mm-hmm. and. Like there's, and it's like teaching you all the ins and outs of the battle system, which is more complicated than before. It's mm-hmm. teaching you all the ins and outs of the dungeons and how they work, which are way more complicated than before. Mm-hmm. And in a good way. I like, re- I really like it actually so far. But, uh, and so you're like kind of going, yeah, yeah, get to the point. Like, because Persona games in my mind don't really start until they finally cut you loose and let you do your own thing. Yeah. And it takes like several days in game time to actually get to that point and Mm -hmm. it requires a lot of slogging through conversations (laughs) but once you do like once they finally cut you loose and let you kind of explore uh tokyo at your leisure like it's like yeah okay like i'm in on this this is great Mm -hmm. yeah definitely like i'm totally like i'm in the i'm in the rhythm and the flow and i love that they brought back the 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 touchscreen thing from persona 4 golden where you can check like what everybody else did Oh, I actually have a funny story about that when we get to the uh, Persona 4 Golden Report. Why don't we get to the Persona 4 Golden Report right now? Oh, yeah, I guess we could do that. No one can tell us what to do. We're, we're adults. Her 
All right, Persona 4 Golden Report. What's been going on, Nadia? Like, what's happening in your game play- in your uh, playthrough? Well, um, I'll go ahead and say, I guess I, I discovered and caught the murderer. Um, Gasp! <laughs> uh, of course, I was fooled. Who's once the killer? Uh, spoiler alert! Who's the killer? Spoiler alert! Um, here's the thing: I don't even remember him that well in like seeing him in the gameplay, but um, mm. his, his name escapes my my immediate memory. But he was the husband of the first victim, mm. uh, and he is a delivery man, which is how he like kind of captured the victim so easily. Because you know who suspects the delivery man? Except I probably will from now on. But um, watch out for the Amazon guy; he might throw you into a television. <laughs> <laughs> That's like not even the weirdest thing I've heard all day. So okay, walk me through like the events that have happened since the uh our last podcast. Uh well, um I got another threatening letter from the dude and uh Dojima unfortunately was right there and he kind of snatched it out of my hands and that was a little bit sad because he he had stopped suspecting me by that point and of course he suspects me all over again. Uh I wound up in the police station. Womp um, womp. While that happened, uh, Nanako got uh, kidnapped. She was going to be the next victim. So mm-hmm. uh, Dojima went after the guy, uh, ended up in an accident, so we had to kind of take over for him. Uh, of course, he fled the TV world, and we chased him down there, and it was a, a rendition of heaven, because I guess that was in Nanako's heart, given how um, she misses her mother for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I was like, okay, yeah, this is going to get sadder before it gets happier. And uh, I chased the guy down. Uh, that was a hell of a boss battle. Holy shit. Um, I died. Refre- refresh me on what the actual boss battle is. How do I even describe this? Basically, you got the kind of JRPG uh, blasphemous god going on. Okay, fine. The usual. But he was far weirder than usual because um, this is Persona. Uh, he was wearing a robe that said love and peace on it. And... Uh, he has this move where he can take control of your party and turn them against you. And the first time that happened, I got demolished. Um, because, like, sometimes your your party members hesitate to attack. Sometimes they don't. <laughs> sometimes they pile on you. And, you know, even though you, you can guard against them, but all it takes is one really good hit for them to, to get through that. Um, but I, I beat him after a couple of tries, thankfully. And the absolute, it's the absolute worst in an RPG when um, your party members get confused and start attacking you. Oh my god. Because yes. they're always so much stronger than the bad guys, and yeah. they can usually one-shot you. Yes, as was the case in this instance. But uh, I, I did get him down. Uh, it was just a, a pain because if, when I lost, like it, it was always in, a, in the last the last quarter of the battle because I, I chipped down his HP, which took a lot of time to begin with. Um, and then, like, he'd turn my, my party against me and land those last few blows, and I'd be like, Rrgh. but, uh, I, I persevered, and I won, and now I'm you just waiting, I'm waiting to see what happens from this point on, because Nanako's in the hospital, unfortunately, she's pretty, she was pretty badly hurt. Hmm. And, Poor um, Nanako. Yeah. And Delivery Nanako guy. might be my favorite, also most tragic character in Persona 4. <laughs> She really is. Like she was, I think, the first that I uh, maxed out a relationship with. Because I think she of... highlights the tragedy of, um, I mean, just that town in general. And like you, she's so sad. <laughs> she really is. Like she, as Kanji says, is the saddest thing because she's trying to put up this front that she's not lonely, but she really, really is. Yeah. Well, no, she's so lonely that she's befriended a fucking. Uh, 
television show jingle. <laughs> the true NASA jingle. Oh my god, that's just heartbreaking to think of. So I want to go to Walmart. <laughs> Yay, Walmart. Oh my god, I live in a rural town, all right. Um, but the yeah, funny story yeah, god. is that um, I just kind of pressed the SOS button while I was in the middle of this heaven dungeon, right? Mm-hmm. And I get... <laughs> I get a a message saying, "Hang in there." And the guy who left who left me this message is named Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and wow. he healed my okay. party. It's like, wow, he healed your party. <laughs> Jesus healed my party in the middle of heaven. Like, wow, good well, job, thank, thank you, Jesus. You. That was nice of him. So that was that was my uh, that was my highlight. Jesus kind of came to my rescue in the middle of heaven. <laughs> But um, now I'm kind of curious where things go because, I mean, the game goes until April and uh, that was the mystery solved. But I guess there's still a few loose ends to wrap up. Hmm. Yes, there are some loose ends to wrap up. Many loose ends, in fact. Yeah, I, I so, figured. Now, how far are you again? Um, that took me through a big chunk of November. So I'm getting into I'm getting closer to December now. Yeah. Okay. So, like, a bunch of stuff will happen in December. So, yeah. this is what I'm going to say, Nadia. Mm-hmm. You're not done yet. No, no, I didn't think so. There's definitely stuff uh, still remaining. Um, so, uh, like, keep going, because I, I really want to hear um, your thoughts on what's to come, because it's going to be a lot of fun. But uh, what did you think of Nanako's dungeon? It was really sad. Um, yeah. I love the music. Mm, I kind of wish... I don't remember the music, but I'll have to check it out. It, they actually have a vocal track for it, but um, I kind of wish that the game, the music didn't reset every time we finish a battle. That's like some yeah. old sixteen-bit RPG shit right there. Yeah, don't yeah. do that, people. I know what you mean. Uh, it gets uh, a little tiresome and repetitive after a while. It kind of does. Um, actually, one of the one of the things I like about Super Robot Wars, if if you'll if you'll forgive the digression, I'll allow it. Is um, every unit has its own, like, kind of theme track from its respective show. Mm-hmm. So when you attack, like, you'll hear that music from that game or from that show when it's attacking. Oh, that's And pretty then cool. you can set it to continue once you head back to the map. Oh, neat. That's a good so idea. So if you just want to bop along to a particular song, you can totally do that. <laughs> yeah, see, I like RPGs that, like, kind of put a lot of thought into the how the music weaves together, like uh, Earthbound slash Mother has since the first game has always had different battle themes which i think is really important because nothing gets more repetitive than a battle theme i totally agree um the world's end the world ends with you also did that really yes, well yes they did uh that was a, that had a great soundtrack that was a, just that was just a weird wonderful game and yeah, it's impressive that they like fit so much of that soundtrack onto a ds card of all things mhm yeah like it I mean, the thing that i really really like is that it progresses. It's it, it actually progresses as you progress through the game. Like you get, mm-hmm. you basically unlock more battle themes, and it becomes more diverse and more interesting, and it gives you a real sense of progress in the soundtrack. It does. It is just a really well thought out soundtrack. I appreciate it very much for that. Well, like Persona Four has a very good soundtrack as well. So yeah, it does. I I've really enjoyed the soundtrack. Um, sometimes some of the songs get repetitive. Like uh, I love mm-hmm. the song that plays after school on a sunny day. Hmm. Uh, the one that plays on a cloudy day, I'm less eh about on, but um, yeah. Persona Five soundtrack is uh considerably more low key. I want to say. Sorry, was Persona Three, Four? Persona Five. Oh, okay. Like I, it feels a lot more low key than either Three or Four. Yeah, actually, uh, one 
a song that I figure I'm not going to hear again that was very sad is uh, in Persona 4 when the house was empty after Nanako had been kidnapped and he kind of mm-hmm. returned home and it's just like this really this really sad tune playing. It's like, uh-huh. But mm-hmm. I, I rescued her quite quickly, so I didn't hear it All so right. Much. Oh, before we uh, wrap up the Persona 4 Golden Report, Nadia, mm-hmm. uh, we got a letter. Yay, letter. This one comes from a while back, actually. Um, maybe a month and a half ago. Oh, sorry about that. Yeah, so this is from a person who actually lived in a small Japanese city at the time that Persona 4 was released. Oh, interesting. Um, and they said that it was actually extremely topical to the events that were happening in rural Japan at the time. Hmm. Um, and it says that it does social commentary in the way that most games don't. And in fact, uh, I mentioned that we interviewed Hashino um, for Persona 5, and he talks at some length about that on the site, so you go, should go check it out. But do you remember that we were talking about big box stores and that kind of thing yes. back in the day? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Kyle Thompson goes, in Ogaki, the local government passed a regulation intended to have the construction of big box stores, but this had a very perverse effect. A construction deadline was established that caused the big box companies to start a big build box building boom to get in before the cutoff date. Mm. I think our little city had something like five big box stores go up, go up in it, including Eon which is almost certainly the company Juness is meant to imitate and other major retailers. As an Inaba, this was a death sentence for the downtown core of small shopping arcades, and it was a talk of the town as long as I was there. You suggested that the reaction to this in Japan was mainly oriented to the foreignness of those retailers, but in my experience, this was not true at all. Remember, these retailers were primarily Japanese-owned. One characteristic of the Japanese economy is that foreign capital is almost never allowed easy entry, and retail is no different in this respect. The rhetoric in Ogaki was just that you would hear, like, what you would hear in the U.S., mom-and-pop stores versus a Walmart equivalent. I think I heard a lot more anti-foreign reactions to the trend in Canada than I ever did in Japan. Of course, Persona does social commentary on problems in Japan, but this does not necessarily make them uniquely Japanese problems. The decline of rural areas is a serious concern in Japan in much the same way as it is in America, though the problems are much more acute in the USA. Mm-hmm. What I'm trying to say is that while we might love Persona for being uniquely Japanese, we don't need to fetishize the uniqueness of Japanese experience. Why not see the common problems we share instead of halting our thoughts at the border? Yeah. I mean, that, that's totally agree. Yeah, and uh, it's interesting that I brought up Canada because he's absolutely right. Um, living here, I can 100% attest that uh, America is kind of a boogeyman, uh, especially, like, it took a very long time for Walmart to get here, and Target bombed really hard, which is too bad, because I kind of wanted to like Target. <laughs> no, Target, but it's from Minnesota, which is basically the Canadian equivalent. I know, but they just, they screwed it up so bad. It, no. it was it was a disaster from beginning to end. There's, like, there's a, there's really impressive uh, post-mortems written about it, if you ever want, like, some really meaty reading material, but, um... Gosh, like even like just the laws that were put into place to keep American content and, and stores out. He's absolutely right. Is not definitely not a Japanese only thing. If anything, we're guilty of like the most anti-American sentiment. Well, he's not wrong though. Like it's been obviously it's been about a decade since I last lived in Japan. But I mean, I was there also when Persona Four came out. But of course, I lived in Tokyo. Like mm-hmm. I lived in Tokyo proper. Mm-hmm. But um. So, but Kyle isn't wrong when he says that, like, um, you know, like brands in general have like kind of taken over a lot of things, mm-hmm. and there's absolutely like kind of a common problem going on between like people kind of lamenting the decline of the mom and pop shop in favor of like, you know, your detours and your 
Seiyus and your eons and your everything else and those and he is incorrect that those are Japanese brands those are not Western brands so mm-hmm. so they're not even like imports from the West they're just big Japan stores yes big Japan stores like places like Tokyo like own freaking everything like they own the train lines they wow. own like the box the big box stores like they're like these mega corporations um, because it's just it's a lot easier to basically become like this gigantic store. Like they yeah. will corner the market on certain things. Like monopolies are much more common in Japan. So, but I, I digress. Uh, thanks for the really thoughtful letter, Kyle. Uh, sorry that it took this long uh, to get to it, but uh, I think that uh, this is kind of where we're going to wrap it up. Uh, Acts of the Blood God is a U.S. gamer podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever RPGs podcasts are sold or podcasts in general like you should go check it out um you should connect to us on twitter facebook and other social media like do us a favor and follow us uh tweet at us um you'll hear a lot about our great content um if you like rpgs we cover rpgs quite a lot over Mm -hmm. on the site like we give rpgs a lot of thought and a lot of time of day um nadia yes so uh this is episode 99 of acts of the blood god Oh my gosh. Yep. That's exciting. So next week is episode 100. Wow. Ooh, I sort of feel like we should do something special. We should like take some cake and just smash it in the screen and say, eat it, eat it. It's your 100th anniversary. Eat it. <laughs> I don't know. I was thinking that maybe it might be fun to talk about um, the most influential RPGs or Ooh. it might be fun to talk about everybody's formative RPG experiences. So I feel like we've been talking about those in the past um i don't know like i could use some ideas on that front but uh, i think that you should write in mm-hmm. and by you i mean you the listener i agree should write in to usgamer at usgamer.net and uh like just you know maybe talk about what rpgs mean to you mm-hmm. like why are you a fan why why do you love rpgs so much maybe talk about your formative experiences Maybe talk about your favorite RPG of all time. Um, maybe the most influential RPGs to you. That could be fun. Yeah, uh, we could just have a nice, you know, sit here and jaw about RPGs in general and the really good ones. That's, I know it's kind of a, a done topic, but it's never a boring one, that's for sure. <laughs> Episode 100, all destiny, all the time. <laughs> Spoiler alert. We're going to talk Destiny. We're never going to shut up. Most influential episode, the most influential RPG, Destiny. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I've talked a little bit. I've talked a fair amount about, like, for example, what Valkyrie Profile has meant to me and what Pokemon has meant to me. Mm-hmm. So it might be kind of going over old topics. But I, I, I'm betting that a lot of you want to share what your most influential RPGs are. Yeah, and I'd like to hear about them and uh, kind of chime in whenever necessary. Yeah, so maybe we should do that. I agree. I and like that idea. I sort of feel like I can. I'm gonna try and get as many like guests on as possible, just to like have them talk a little bit about something. I'm not sure. Like I have to think about it. But yeah, episode 100. It's very exciting, Nadia. Yes, thank you to everyone for listening to us for this. Yeah, no, it's been a fun ride over the past. Uh, well, it's been it's about been about two years now since we officially started. We've been basically podcasting once a week ever since then with. Uh, comparatively few breaks um the podcast has grown exponentially since then and mm-hmm. hopefully will continue to grow i hope so 
Uh, but in the meantime, uh, if you want more great RPG content, uh, aside from visiting the site, you should really follow Nadia Oxford at Nadia Oxford. You should follow me at the underscore catbot. And I mean, just keep on coming back and yeah. we will, you know, keep talking about RPGs for another hundred episodes. <laughs> another hundred years. Or we'll end up talking about, you know, Persona for another hundred years. <laughs> and Zelda. 97 years. <laughs> and another nine seasons. Szechuan sauce. <laughs> Continuing quest for Szechuan sauce on Acts of the Blood God. The Blood God loves his Mulan Szechuan sauce. Go watch the new Rick and Morty. It'll all make sense. Yes, do. Yeah, God, that was an amazing episode. So good. I have to watch it. I haven't watched it yet. Come on, Nadia. Give it the times. I know, man. I gotta get with the times. Go to the world it's not all about Dragon Quest and Seiken Densetsu. Sometimes you gotta sit down and watch Rick and Morty. <laughs> Those are all the same thing. Dragon Quest, Seiken Detsetsu, Rick and Morty. Yes. And on that note, uh, that's it for us. Uh, we'll be back next week. And as always, uh, I've been Kat Bailey and for Nadia and myself, we'll see you again next time. And until then, happy adventuring. Happy adventuring.